Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you for the final time to open to the book of Numbers. Chapter 35. This morning we come to the end of our study of the book of Numbers that we began all the way back in January. Now, we will be in chapter 35, not 36, because we've already covered the legal issue with the daughters of Zephalahad back in chapter 27. That's what chapter 36 is. It's going back over that same issue. So we will conclude our study of Numbers in chapter 35. Now, the end of this book is might not be what we would expect, a triumphant entry into the promised land. But rather, we do not come to that until the book of Joshua. For a book that begins with two chapters on census numbers, it's only fitting that it ends with two chapters on technical legal matters. And so a question we come to is, why have we spent this much time on a book like Numbers? Well, quite simply, it's because if we don't understand and if we don't believe Moses, we can't understand and believe in Christ. In John chapter 5, the Lord Jesus says to those who are doubting His ministry, if you believed Moses, you would believe Me, for He wrote of Me. But if you do not believe His writings, how will you believe My words? Truly, how can we understand and believe in the work of Christ until we first understand and believe the words of of Moses. So let us turn our hearts and our minds to God's word this morning, remembering that it is Christ who said, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. We will begin in verse 9 of chapter 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you shall give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. Now down to verse 30. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer 
who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. And you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. And no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father, we come to You now as heirs of faith, as sons of Abraham through Christ, believing that You truly dwell in the midst of us, Your people. And so we pray, O God, as we come to Your Word, that You would give us faith that we might see and believe and have life. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Life. Life is what the Lord desires for His world. In the beginning, the Lord brought forth life. As we look at the account in the book of Genesis, we see the Lord bringing forth life, bringing forth the plants, grass and oak trees and tulips, bringing forth the animals of the world, birds and tigers and cows and cats and dogs and human beings. And He placed life in a specially created, fine-tuned environment so that life would flourish. A land of life. The sun is the perfect color, we are told, for maximum photosynthesis production. It's the right mass, it's the right distance, so that it produces the right temperature for life. The moon is also the perfect distance from the earth. If it were closer, the gravitational effects would be so severe that life would not be stable. And yet, if it were further away... We are told that there wouldn't be sufficient movement of nutrients from the ocean to the land to support life. There would be instability in the earth's orbit. The earth's gravity, the tilt, the rotation, the crust thickness, the oxygen to nitrogen ratios are all fine-tuned so that life can flourish on this planet that God created. This fine-tuning of the earth should be enough to make anyone realize that there is a Creator. Yet we can learn even more than just the existence of a Creator just by the very fact that He created a world so specialized to sustain life, we can know that He loves life as well. Of course, the Word of God tells us exactly this. After each day of creating life, God declared, it is good. And when He created man and woman, He declared, it is very good. Life, and in particular, human life, is beautiful to the Lord. He loves it. Therefore, He created a land, an environment for life. Consequently, He hates death. 
You see, the Lord warned Adam, our first father, if he disobeyed, if he sinned, the result would be death. And true to his word, when Adam sinned, death came into this world because of sin. Because of sin, men die, women die, animals die, for the wages of sin is death. Yet our life-loving God was not going to let His finely tuned world be overcome by the enemy of death. He would bring a cure to this disease so that the enemy of life would be defeated and once again life would reign in His creation. You see, life is beautiful to the Lord. He loves life. And He is moving in history to bring about a world where death will be no more and life will flourish yet again. And the book of Numbers is a record of the Lord moving to establish a land where life might flourish yet again. In our passage for this morning, we come to the end of our study of Numbers And as we conclude, we see that this land that the Lord is giving to Israel is to be a land where life may flourish yet again. In particular, we see three ways that the Lord calls His people to protect life in the land. We see that they must be careful in their actions. They must be fair in their judgments. And finally, they must be just in their execution of punishment. So let us take a minute to look at each one of these points from our passage and see the Lord's heart for life. First, Israel is called to be careful with human life. In Numbers 35, we have the establishment of the cities of refuge. The city of refuge was a designated town within Israel to which someone could flee if they unintentionally killed another person. There they would be protected from what the text calls the avenger of blood. Look at verse 15 of your text. You'll see there it says, These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. So imagine this situation. You are in the woods with your neighbor chopping down trees. And lately your axe has been a bit loose. And so you take some old rope that you found in your yard and you try to tie the head of the axe back on sufficiently. But then as you're pulling the axe back, you feel the weight of the axe head fly off. And you hear a thud. And you turn around and look, and the unthinkable has happened. It has hit your neighbor in the head and instantly killed him. Now, did you mean to do this? No. There was no ill intent. However, your neighbor has died because of your negligence. Now, are you guilty of murder? Well, no. Do you deserve to be killed for your actions? No. Yet in Israel, 
the avenger of blood would have pursued anyone who had killed one of his relatives. Whether or not you meant to kill your neighbor, you were still the one who did it. And so his blood is on your hand. Life is beautiful to the Lord. And therefore, he establishes cities of refuge to protect human life. It protects human life in two ways. First, And maybe the most obvious is that it protects the life of one who unintentionally kills another. What the text calls a manslayer. Unintentional killing is not the same as murder. And it does not deserve the death penalty. It would be an injustice to execute someone who killed someone else unintentionally. And this is the way that the Lord protects life. But the second way, and maybe less obvious to us, is that the city of refuge protects life by punishing negligence. You see, to flee to the city of refuge was essentially to place yourself under house arrest. You could not leave the city once you entered it. Look at verse 28. It says, Of the manslayer, For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. Life is precious to the Lord. And therefore, he is seeking to establish a land of life. To be careless in the way that we treat others does not come without consequences. If the axe head flies off your axe, you're responsible. If you are texting while driving and you hit somebody, you are responsible. If you leave a loaded gun where a child can get it, you are responsible for that. These actions may not be intentional, but the Lord loves human life. It is of such importance that even unintentional deaths must be addressed. Human life must be protected. This should be enough, I believe, to even stop a consideration of an act like abortion. I believe, both biblically and scientifically, it's clear that abortion takes a human life. But there are people that say, you know, we just don't know. We're we're not sure. But maybe it's enough to say, even if there is a chance, Even if there is a slight chance that we are taking a human life, we must stop. We must not even take a chance with human life. It is so beautiful and important to the Lord. Life is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. And He has taken great pains in creating and protecting life. And He established the cities of refuge to protect His people. From death. And therefore, we must all be very careful in the way that we treat human life. The second lesson that we learn from our text is that in this land of life, God's people must be just in their judgments. Verses 22 through 30 explain two ways the accused is to be protected from false witnesses. First, those who are accused of murder must be judged according to their intention. If you look at verses 22 and following, it 
talks about this man who unintentionally killed someone else. It says if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without laying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood. You see, there was no intention of murder. And therefore, a city of refuge will protect the manslayer from the avenger of blood. The intention is important. And if there is no intention, if there is no ill will, then the manslayer is protected. The second way by which those accused of murder were protected was by a high burden of proof. We read in verse 30, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But get this, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. There is a very high burden of proof to convict somebody of the crime of murder. Because human life is precious to the Lord. He does not want judgments to be made willy-nilly without thinking about what the intention was or by going on the evidence of just one witness. But there must be witnesses that that collaborate what is being said so that those who are living within His land might be saved from unjust judgment. Life is beautiful to the Lord. And we cannot act as though it were a small thing to judge an individual. Someone's guilt must be beyond a shadow of a doubt if it is to be punished. It's very easy to presume guilt. But if we are to protect life, we must presume innocence and seek a just judgment in every case. This doesn't just apply to the way that our courts deal with cases about murder, but also the way that we deal with those who are under our authority. If you are a parent, if you are a teacher, if you are an employer, if you are an elder in the church, if you are within the government, you are called to make just judgments for those under your authority. For in a land of life, we must make just judgments. Now, following the great worldwide flood through which the Lord saved Noah and his family, the Lord made a covenant, a promise with all mankind. First, he promised that he would himself protect life. He would protect it from his own wrath, putting a rainbow in the sky as a sign that he would never flood the earth Again, so despite what the Weather Channel says, there will never be another worldwide flood. But he also said, I will protect you from fearsome animals, putting the fear of man in these animals. And third, he said, I will protect you from one another. Listen to what he says to Noah in the context of this covenant that he made with all mankind. 
Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The final lesson that we learn in our passage for this morning is that to protect human life, fitting punishments must be executed. We must be just in our judgments, but if a person is found guilty of a crime, it is the responsibility of those in places of authority to execute a proper punishment. Here in the book of Numbers, we see that it fell to the avenger of blood to execute the fitting punishment. Look at verse 19. It says, The avenger of blood shall himself Put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. The term avenger of blood might give us the wrong idea about the role of this person in Israel and the motivation for his execution of the murderer. This term is elsewhere translated as kinsman redeemer. It's a technical term. For a family protector, the Goel in Hebrew. It was his role to protect the land and to protect the life of his family. If land fell out of the family's ownership, it was the role of this kinsman redeemer to buy it back. If a family member fell into slavery, it was the role of the kinsman redeemer, the avenger of blood, to buy him out of slavery. If a man died without a son, it was the role of this kinsman redeemer to raise up a son from the line that it might not die out. And if a family member of his was murdered, it was his obligation to execute the murderer according to God's command. You see, his motivation wasn't primarily about revenge. It wasn't out of anger, but rather he was called to bring about justice and protection of life within his family. As strange as it may sound, to withhold the death penalty in the case of murder is to actually violate God's command not to kill. It is the law of God that when a man sheds the blood of another human being created in the image of God, that his blood too is to be shed. Now, not just pell-mell, according to our own judgments, vigilante justice, but rather after a trial by elders, the testimony of at least two witnesses, and by the appointed protector of life, the family redeemer. You see, to allow sin to go unpunished is evil in the sight of the Lord. And in particular, the taking of human life is so heinous to the Lord that the ultimate punishment is to be given for this crime. And all of us in places of authority, we cannot turn a blind eye to sin and those who are under our authority. Parents, you are called to carefully, justly discipline your children. Teachers, elders in the church, judges in our community, all of us who have authority over others are called to be careful, but to be just. 
And ultimately, when sin is committed to punish and discipline that sin so that life might flourish. One who has been convicted beyond a shadow of a doubt for murder, God's Word tells us, is to be executed. For the government does not bear the sword in vain. And the execution of just punishments are aimed at the protection of human life. You see, the Lord loves life. He has given us His law that life might be protected. That is the purpose of the cities of refuge, to protect human life. And yet this morning you might be asking, well, if God loves life so much, why does He then require death? Why would a God who created a life call for the execution of a human life? Well, in reality, death is the just sentence that hangs over each and every one of us. For it is not only outright murder that deserves death, but any sin against the law of God. For as we have heard over and over again, the wages of sin is death. And if sin continues, then death continues to have a hold on creation. And so, there has to be a just judgment and a a fitting punishment for every sin that has been committed. Life is beautiful to the Lord. He created it. He sustains it. He has redeemed it in the life and death of His Son, Jesus Christ. For Christ came to be the avenger of blood, the kinsman redeemer for all those who are joined to Him in faith. He came to protect life within His family by ensuring the execution of the guilty. Yet the execution of the guilty meant His own death. For on the cross, Jesus took on the sin of His people. And by His own blood, by His own death, by His own execution, satisfied God's requirement that we read about in verse 33 of our text. There we read, You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it. You see, to establish a land of life, the just judgment of death must be executed. And by His death on the cross, Jesus ensured that His family would be redeemed, that their sin would be atoned for and cleansed from their blood guilt by His own precious blood as we come to the end of the book of numbers we are reminded again that the lord is bringing his people to a blessed land a land that is flowing with milk and honey a land of justice and of life yet ultimately it is a land that was pointing us forward to a land that is to come it is pointing us forward to a land not just of life but a land of eternal life A land that will be perfectly fitted to sustain life. And this is the land to which we are going. For we read of this land, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. This is the land of life to which we are going. Presently we are pilgrims. We are exiles traversing the desert of this fallen world. But through Christ, the Lord is leading us to a land of everlasting life. He is leading all of those in Christ home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go now to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to You now boldly for You have given to us Your Son. And if You have given us Your Son, would You withhold anything else from us? And so we come asking that You would bring to us this land of life. That we might experience the life of our Savior Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that each one of us here might know the truth that if we are in Christ, though we die, yet we will live forever. We pray, Father, that You would write these truths on our hearts and that we might ever walk with You all the days of our life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.